Good morning, everyone. I know, I know. To us San Diegans, this is freezing weather. Wow. Frostbite. It's like the Ice Age. It's a 65. <laughs> well, what a blessing we get to be together. Why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. I love to go through the book of Hebrews as we are in, this is our communion Sunday. It's a wonderful day to get together and to meditate on the word of God about what God has done in Christ Jesus for us, for his people. The title of this sermon is called, Leave Mount Sinai, Run to Mount Zion, from Law to Grace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, we ask, Lord, that the guilty sinner would put his guilt upon Christ. He would not be tormented by his conscience anymore. That he would see the Savior, and he would run to the freedom and the Forgiveness in Mount Zion, on Calvary, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. As we are in Hebrews chapter 12, let me just start. Our brother Jason was reading, and this is really a comparison of, of two worlds. Notice he says in verse 18, For you have not come to a mountain... And later on, verse 22, You have come to Mount Zion... So the comparison of, is of two worlds, two covenants, two eras. He says in verse 18, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it'll be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But, I love this, verse 22. You have come to Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape, they refuse him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, and now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of creative things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Sadly, rather than running to grace, man by himself will run away, will hide in his sin. 
He will try and cover himself with the insufficiency of the fig leaves of self-effort. He senses his guilt, yet rather fully owning it and repenting, he attempts to repair the breach of relationship with God on his own. He would rather do it on his own, on his own efforts. But in reality, he knows there is nothing that can truly mend the relationship with God in his own efforts. As he realizes who God is, absolutely holy in nature, he cannot help but to look at himself and know what he is and that he has not done enough. And that's what drives the conscience to guilt. Our own efforts are such paltry offerings, yet in our pride, we think it is better, better than the perfect offering of Christ on the cross. Yeah, I know Christ died, but I need to do this. I know Jesus died, but I know I need to do this. Oh, sinner. Do not be terrified of your failings this morning. Do not be terrified of your shortfallings any longer. Let that realization remove your pride and stop rationalizing your sin. Stop trying to make up for it. There is a Christ. There is a Christ, my friend, who will wash all of your sin and all of your weak efforts to cover it up. Let Christ's blood, not your works, let Christ's blood cover up your sin. This morning. So God gave this passage so you would cast aside your guilt and trust in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That you would cast aside your guilt and trust in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If this is you as a Christian, praise the Lord. Continue to cast aside your guilt. Continue to look towards Mount Zion. If this is not you this morning, I plead with you to do this. There is freedom, there is worship, there is kindness, there is grace in Christ. Now to truly cast your guilt aside and to trust in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, God wants you to understand and, three, and, and learn and believe three foundational truths. There are three foundational truths. The first one, verses 18 to 21, is this first section. 18 to 21, fear the law's tyranny no longer. Amen? Amen? Fear the law's tyranny no longer. If you recall, the congregation has believers who have left Judaism and others who have been exposed to the gospel of grace, they've seen the effects in the church, they've seen the effects in other people's lives, yet they've not fully trusted in Christ themselves. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to this church of mixed peoples, those who are believing on Christ, trusting in Christ, and those who know of Christ, understand the gospel, have seen the effects of it, has seen the sweetness of fellowship, stood on the outside, and yet have not fully trusted in Christ. They're tempted to go back to legalism. It's very much like the church today, isn't it? If you really look at a church, at the average church, there are some who are 
they claim to be Christians and yet they have not really trusted in Christ. And then there's yet others who do know the Lord Jesus Christ and are walking with him. The second group of people are tempted to go back to empty religion and ritual rather than to trust in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now to understand this text, you have to know a little background from the Old Testament. Remember, the author of Hebrews is writing to a congregation well-versed and steeped in Judaism and the Torah. The text begins with, For you have not come to a mountain. This is a very clear reference to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the Old Covenant was instituted and where God spoke with Moses. This was the covenant of law. It was a covenant of fear. It was a covenant of judgment. Do this or do not do this. If you do this or if you do not do this and you don't listen to what I say, you will be judged or die. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Just to get a little bit of background so we understand what does it mean, this this mountain and, and I see this fire and this whirlwind and this trumpet. What is he talking about? Go to Exodus chapter 19. Explains it very clearly. Exodus 19. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So that gives us the context. It's been three months. They were rescued. They have left the Red Sea. Rescued by God. That very day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim. They came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. There Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. Isn't that the love of God? He doesn't wait for our initiative. He does it himself. Amen. I brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came, called the elders of the people, set before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses, we're going to follow God. Everything that you have said, we're going to do perfectly. Because God rescued us from Egypt. We're going to do this perfectly. And the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear that I speak with you. And may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today. Tomorrow, let them wash their garments. Here's the, now they have to be ceremonially clean just to get near to the foot of the mountain, right? And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him. 
but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horns sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments, said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. What that is, is a reference that you shall not have any sexual relations to be ceremonially clean before you go to God. So you have to wash up. You have to wear certain clothes. You can't have sex. He says in verse 16, so it came about on the third day when it was morning, there were thunder and lightning and flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended the, like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. You could not even look at God because you were a sinner and to look at holiness, they would die instantly. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying, set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, go down, come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And now, put your finger there and we go back to Hebrews as we compare the text. And it becomes readily apparent that the writer of Hebrews is talking about Mount Sinai. There are reasons for this fear. See, the law is an expression of God's holiness. Think about it. Why is there a law? The reason why God gives the Ten Commandments and the 613 tractates is because it is to show the separateness, the holy other of God, that he is not like us. He is pure, righteous, undefiled. And so reasons for this fear is first that God's holiness is unapproachable. That's what Exodus 19 is talking about. That's what Hebrews 12 in this section, verse 18, is talking about. He says, you've not come to a mountain that, can, that may be touched. You can't go near God. A relationship with him is not available to you because of your sin. You have a sin problem. He says, and to a blazing fire, we know that's a reference to Exodus 19. And to darkness, that's a reference to Exodus 19. And gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet, that's all an, a reference to Exodus 19. And the sounds of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further words should be spoken to them. The terrible, fierce sound of God's voice himself. The point is... You've not come to this mountain. This is, and brothers and sisters, isn't it wonderful? This is not the case now. You are not in a place 
if you know Christ, where God is unapproachable. This is a new era, a new mountain in Christ. You are not bound by fear to keep the law. See, Sinai represented the very unapproachable holiness of God. It's not just that God is holy and, ho- and, and that he is other. He is not, he is set apart from us. It's just, it's not only that, but when we look upon the holiness of God, mankind cannot help but to look at the sinfulness of our own selves. It's just like Peter, when Jesus displayed his power on the boat, he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It's just like Isaiah, when he sees the God who is thrice holy, he says, depart from me. I am a man of unclean lips. It is that experience that you had, brothers and sisters, those of you who do know the Lord, when you came to Christ and you finally were convinced of your sin and the holiness of God and that you had absolute spiritual bankruptcy, that you had nothing to offer to him. You know you can't come to him. The signs of thunder and lightning, trumpet fire, shaking of the earth was to remind them that God is holy and man cannot approach him in his sinfulness. It was a reminder of what happened in the garden when man was banished from God's presence. Here's another reason for fear. God's holiness is deadly. Verse 20, they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. We recall that the law was given. Later on in Exodus 20, he gives us the Ten Commandments. Put your finger here. Go back to Exodus 20. In Exodus chapter 20, notice verse 18 After the Ten Commandments were given in verse 18, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. God's holiness is not only deadly, God's holiness is awesome. Notice in Hebrews, going back to Hebrews chapter 12, Moses himself said, I am full of fear and trembling. Moses, who had favor with God, who saw the backside of God, he himself had fear and trembling. Sinai represents God's righteous and holy demands on his people by his giving of the law. The law was given to reveal sin. As you begin to study and know the law, you know that no one can stand before God's perfect requirement. You right now cannot expect forgiveness by keeping the law or any other moral commands of life you make up for yourself because you can't even meet your own moral standards. God has created you to image forth his glory and you know that you know you've broken it in your words and your actions and deeds. In the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. And you say, well, I haven't done that. And then Jesus says, if you've ever hated your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus says, if you've ever looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says that if you'd even, uh, and the application is even if you've stolen a little paperclip from the office, a pen from the office, you are a thief.
The issue is not how, how much better I am than someone else. The issue is, how is my holiness, my own righteousness, in comparison to the perfect righteousness of God? There are, I'm going to say something, okay? but hear me out. There are two ways to heaven. First way is by keeping the law. You absolutely can go to heaven if you keep it perfectly. Every single aspect of the law, if you keep it perfectly in your heart, every motive, every thought, yes, you can go to heaven that way, but you know what? All of us are tainted with sin. None of us should even attempt that way. And there's the other way. And that is trusting in the righteousness that is in Christ himself. He gives us the law. Paul understands this. Later on, he says in Romans 3, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and the world may become accountable to God. Why? Verse 20 of chapter 3 in Romans, Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What the law does is when we stare at it, you look at it and you say, I cannot do this. I cannot obey you perfectly, God. I try to and I fail. Maybe you come in here this morning and you know you failed. I have failed, God. I know the truth and I failed. And that's what the law should do. It should cause us to understand that we have no standing before God and the only reason why we can worship and glorify Him and have a relationship with God is simply because of what Christ has done Himself. Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of the law, studied and memorized and taught it and from the outward expression of himself you would say oh he he has done the law perfectly and yet he quotes Deuteronomy 26 in Galatians chapter 3 he says for as many as are the works of the law are under a curse for it is written listen to this this is Galatians 3:10 cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them You can't go to God and say, I did 99.99%. When the requirement is absolute perfection. Believer, you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, not this mountain. I'm glad I'm not there. You understand? Fear the law's tyranny no longer. Do not stay at Mount Sinai. How do I break it down for us here? Don't think your best efforts will get you right before God. 
Have you sinned and you come in this morning? Don't think that you have to do things to have a right position with God. Don't think that you're better than someone else because you're not a murderer or, or because you're not as bad as someone else or anything like that. You come and you do not fear the lost tyranny any longer. Why? Because you know that someone has done it perfectly for you. Has paid and has accomplished every aspect of the law for you. So leave Sinai, that is Sinai, and leave it for Zion. Fear the lost tyranny no longer. But number two, enjoy grace's riches forever. Enjoy grace's riches forever. Look at verse 22. But, the adversative there, not like this, but like this, right? But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the myriads of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abraham. But you have come to Mount Zion. We know that David conquered the Jebusites and he put the ark on Zion as God's earthly dwelling place in psalm 132 13 he says for the lord has chosen zion he has desired it for his habitation this is my resting place forever here i will dwell for i have desired it we know that later solomon moved the ark to the temple on mount moriah which is uh which is close to zion and then uh, the name Zion extended to that area. And later on, when we use the word Zion, we are in reference to Jerusalem itself. This is a comparison of Sinai to Zion. Sinai is the old covenant. Zion is the new. Sinai is the law. Zion is grace. No one meets the perfect requirement of the law. But anyone can receive grace. Amen. One commentator says it this way. The law confronts us with commandments, judgment, and condemnation. Grace presents us with forgiveness, atonement, and salvation. Isaiah 46 says, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. And I will grant salvation in Zion. And my glory for Israel. Another commentator says it this way. Sinai was forbidding and terrifying. Zion is inviting and gracious. Sinai is closed to all because no one is able to please God on Sinai's terms. The perfect fulfillment of the law. Zion is open to all because Jesus Christ has met those terms. And will stand in the place of anyone who will come to God through him. Zion symbolizes the approachable God. In Christ. So there are seven blessings of grace given to the believers who have trusted in Christ. The first one is the heavenly city. And the writer of Hebrews wants you to know your riches. Christian, this is when you're feeling down 
downcast and despondent and depressed, it's because we are not meditating on the riches that we do have in Christ Jesus. And it would do well for you this morning to take a trip with me and to see what Hebrew says about your riches. And the first one of these seven blessings of Christ, grace in Christ is the heavenly city. That is Jerusalem itself. This heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly Jerusalem. It's the city of the living God. God who grants life, God who is alive, grants life. We remember in Psalm 133.3, it says, It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there is the Lord commanding the blessing of life forever. Psalm 102 says that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. This is a reference to heaven, brothers and sisters. Heaven is ours. Do you know that? Heaven is ours, that is our city. It is the same city in the previous chapter that the writer of Hebrews says he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is who? God. Brothers and sisters, once you put your faith in Christ, you're now a citizen of this city. That's where Christ is. That's where the Father is. That's where all your loved ones who have died in Christ are. That's where your hope is. That's where your eternal dwelling place is. That's where your hope will be realized, saint. That's where true riches lie. And for the believer, that's where you truly want to be. You're a citizen of Zion. Don't lose that perspective in life brothers and sisters. Second, the general assembly, that's angels. Angels. And to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, I think the phrase to the general assembly is linked to the phrase before it, the myriads of angels. This word assembly is not the same word that we use for for the church. That's a different word later on, you'll see. The church of the firstborn. It's not ecclesia. It's uh, a different word that means festal gathering, celebration, a happy festive time, a party for something good has happened. This myriads, this means thousands upon thousands of angels. These are God's created beings as his messengers and his servants. They're not human. This is, this is another creation. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, John says, And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And they keep singing and they keep singing forever and ever and ever that reflection. Refrain. And the application of this is not to focus on angels. Oh, how the Christian church sees this so wrongly. You have a guardian angel. You need to pray to your angel. You need to have angels around your house. Oh, angels are watching over me. When the focus isn't even on angels. The focus is on who the angels are worshiping. 
And what is, what this, the whole significance is that when we come to heaven, brothers and sisters, we get to join in this worship service with the angels praising the Lamb who died on the cross for our sins. They don't experience the redemption that we've had. We get to say, Jesus, you died for my sins, and the angels just look at that. And they marvel that God of the universe would come down, send his only son, and die for sinners such as us. And they can't help but praise him. We worship with them. We join in eternal praise of God and of Christ Jesus. So your blessing, saints, is you have heaven. You have angels. And the next one is... You have believers. This is the church of the firstborn. Church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven. Yes, this word is the ecclesia. This is the word that we do translate into the word church. These are those who have put their faith in Christ. Romans 8.17 says, If children heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We are the firstborn in the, in the sense that we are the ones inheritance in that culture the first and the bible says that everyone who comes to christ is a firstborn amen you come to your inheritance he says the, of those who are enrolled in heaven Luke 10, 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Revelation 21, 27 says, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come unto it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Brothers and sisters, when there's a roll call in heaven, your name is on that list. You have a reserved spot for you. Amen. So you've got heaven. You've got angels. You've got the church. You've got God. God the Father. To God, the judge of all. Because the veil is torn in two, you can come into the very presence of God himself. No fear, just welcome. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Remember that, that phraseology. The tabernacle of God is among men. John uses that in, in, in the gospel of John, remember? And he dwelt amongst us. So the tabernacle is, of God is among men, and we shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God, listen to this, himself shall be among them. Saint, you will be with your God. You know, as... As you do get older in the Lord and as the years start to flow by and as the hairs on my, on my beard when I let it grow through the week start to turn gray, the heartbeat gets stronger and stronger. Does it not? 
that you want, just want to be with your God. I just want to be with you. This world, yes, we are ambassadors in this world, but man, it's tiring, isn't it? It's tiring to see what's happening in society. It's tiring to see that. But I want to be with my God. Oh, brothers and sisters, stay in the work. We have much work to do. But no, there will be a rest in the end with your God. Amen? Heaven, angels, church, God, OT saints, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. These are the spirits. This is a Abel and Abraham and Moses and David and Joseph. It's all of Hebrews chapter 11. Their standing now becomes perfect. They had to be made perfect. Why? Because they looked forward to the atonement at the cross. They didn't, they didn't see the Messiah be killed on the cross for their sins. They had to wait for that. And you know what? What's going to be amazing is you're going to be in this eternal worship service. And you know what, Dre? I love, I love being here and singing, don't you? Sometimes Christians, don't you? Love to sing to your Savior? Sometimes I just don't even want it to end. I just want to keep singing, keep singing. And God himself says there's this eternal worship service where the angels are joining in, where the church is joining in, and where the Old Testament saints are joining in. Man, I'm going to be singing with Abel right next to me. And Moses. And Isaiah. Imagine that. And then there's Jesus. He says, verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Oh. The Bible says in Revelation that we will see him as a lamb, as if slain. And the way I take that in Revelation is that Jesus, God incarnate, put on flesh, keeps his flesh, and has the marks of his war, which he displays for us. And you will see his wounds in his hands and his wounds in his side. And he is proud of it. It's much more than the warrior who comes home from battle with the scars from war, shrapnel here and, and maybe a bullet wound here. It's much more than this because his scars bought you, Christian. And so this Jesus, he comes. You get to see the one who died for you. And your eyes will meet him. And all the difficulties that you've ever had in this life will vanish. I promise you this. The writer of Hebrews calls him the mediator of the new covenant. This mediator is the one who shed his blood for you. He's the one who represents you before God. What does he mediate? He mediates the new covenant. This is the covenant that is ushered in by grace, not the law. This is the same demarcation of from Sinai to Zion. And this, brothers and sisters, this is why 
This is a sweet time for us when we celebrate communion and we remember what is it when you take the wine and you take of the cup and you take of the bread, we remember the what? What covenant? The new covenant. Heaven and angels and church, God, Old Testament saints, Jesus, the blood. Then you have this, the blood, the sprinkled blood, the redemption. And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. When we say Jesus the mediator, we're talking about the person. When we say Jesus' blood, we talk about the cost. The work. So it is the person who did it and the work that he did. It doesn't separate the person of Christ with his work. This is his glory. This is what he's proud about, that he spilt his blood for his people. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood was offered in faith. But it had no atoning power to forgive. Jesus' blood suffices for all of us to be saved. He washes away all of our sins, all of our transgressions in his blood. With heaven. With angels. With the church, with God, with Old Testament saints, with Jesus, with the blood. I ask this question. Why wouldn't you want to come to him? Why? It displays the insanity of sin. If you're saying, I, don't, I still don't want to. I still don't want him. I don't want to bow. It displays the insanity of sin. These are rich blessings, unearned, free of grace. Fear the law's tyranny no longer. Enjoy grace's riches forever, now and forever. And lastly, receive the gospel's call now. Receive the gospel's call now. Verses 25 to 29. None of these blessings are yours unless you respond to the gospel now. Heed him. Look at 25 to 27. See to it that you do not refuse who is speaking. Don't ignore him. Don't ignore him now. You hear him. You hear him through his word. Do not refuse this. It is his love that you are hearing this now. Young person... And you, if you don't know Christ, it is his love that you are hearing this now. He says, for those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. The argument here is sinners were accountable to God when he warned them from Sinai. How much more when he warns from heaven? Mount Zion. You know that there is fear because of the law. Now, not only is it clear that there is a law, but now you only not only refuse the needs of the law, but now you refuse the provision of forgiveness that he is giving to you and you throw it away. 
You decline. The word for refuse is to decline, to reject, to avoid. And this is what people do to Christ and his gospel. Maybe this is you. You're sitting there. You're declining. You're rejecting. You're avoiding Christ in the face of grace and love and peace. This refusal is of even a greater offense to God. This is what the point of that. It's greater because you're hearing about it over and over and over. You hear about it. Keep your finger there. Turn to Hebrews 10. This is what the author of Hebrews has said in the past already. And we saw this. 10, 28. No, let me start at 26. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, that is having a lifestyle that does not follow God, does not obey Him, does not trust in Him, in Christ Jesus, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, for a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Here it is, verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29. Listen to this. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Go back to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. And his voice shook the earth. Verse 26. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Later on, we know that he is going to, he says in verse 27, denotes the removing of things which can be shaken and have created things in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain these things which can be shaken as of created things. And what he's saying is the things that can be shaken are the temporal, physical things. It's the same thing in Second Peter chapter 3 when he says that God himself will destroy all of the old creation with intense heat in Second Peter chapter 3. Now notice in verse 28 and 29, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us show gratitude, thankfulness to what he has done, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So the two responses, the right responses to the gospel is to receive it, hear it, heed it, believe it. And the second one is to show a life of gratitude, of thanksgiving. How does that show up? by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Your life becomes a life of worship itself. And verse 29 reminds us that our God is a consuming fire. 
that a refusal of this grace, remember who he is. Remember who he is. It is a great offense to God to not only depart from his law, to sin against his law and his righteousness, but it's an even greater offense to sin and to refuse the grace that he offers in his, the giving of his son. Don't go back to empty religion. He's saying to some of you are close to giving Christ all of your hope and all of your trust. Don't go back now. Don't go back to empty religion. God will judge. The more you know, the more you will be judged for. Give him your life and surrender. Brothers and sisters, go to Zion. If you are not saved now, turn to him. He is gracious and compassionate and he will forgive you of your sins. Let's pray. Father, we pray. We thank you. We can now approach you because the veil has been rent in two. Because of what Christ has done. Oh, thank you for this communion Sunday. Bless this time. Help us to sing and help us just to contemplate in your grace that you've given us. We praise you. Amen.